But we have a wedding going on today, so I thought I would just talk about this marriage. My 19-year-old daughter, Rochelle, is getting married. I witnessed to four people on the way from the conference center to the airport. When I got to the airport, the guy who drove me in the shuttle, he was stunned when he found out my daughter's only 19 years old, she's getting married, and I was able to explain to him, yeah, well, that was really common 40 years ago when I got married to be that age. And I said the reason it isn't common today is because the economy they've built, the education system they've devised, uh, people all fornicate now, think nothing of it. And then, of course, there's also the reason of um, divorce laws. So many young men know men who've gone to hell and back in divorce court, and they're like, why would I want to be a part of that? But the fornication thing really resonated with that young guy. He's probably about 22 years old. Anyways, it was good to be able to talk to people about the Lord. Ended up at a table with three other people inside waiting for our flight. We ended up in this long conversation. Got to share the gospel with all of them and also talk to them about you know, our ministry of defy tyrants. So I get back late last night, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what I should do for a sermon tomorrow. Because <laughs> I haven't had no time. So I thought, I'll just do a sermon on marriage and about my daughter. And so she's 19, she's getting married. That freaks people out. It freaks people out. And that's how toady and ridiculous our culture is, that that freaks people out. I have no idea where we're at as a culture at this point. Except it's an insane asylum, of course. So, Rochelle's name is Rochelle Rose. That's her first name. Rochelle hyphen Rose. When you're getting older and you know you're running out of having kids, you start giving them two first names. Because you realize all the names you wanted to give your kids, you're not going to have that money and you can't use them all. So, we have numerous kids who have two first names. And so, Rochelle Rose is her name. She's named Rose after our midwife. Rosie Thornton, who's birthed seven of the seven of our last children. We did home births. And she's birthed who knows how many of our 27 grandchildren, but a lot of them, a lot of them. And so we wanted to honor her, and so that's why we gave Rochelle the second first name of Rose, after Rose Thornton. And Rochelle, we named her after that, after the men of, in honor of the men of La Rochelle, France. In 1572, there was the Bartholomew Day Massacre, where the Catholics slaughtered thousands of Protestants, French Huguenots. And um, when the Protestants, it was a surprise attack. They were all actually invited to a gala event and then butchered. So the Protestants retreated to La Rochelle, which was to the west of where Paris sits, because the massacre took place in Paris. And the men of La Rochelle held that land for a long time before they were defeated by the French forces. And historians, military strategists say it's remarkable that they were able to hold it as long as they did. That's where they made their retreat. That's where they made their stand for Christ and the true faith. So we named Rochelle in honor of those men who fought for Christ and for the true faith there at La Rochelle, France. And then we gave her a middle name of Resistus. Okay. And by the way, this is all interesting. It's going to get more interesting as we continue on here about the whole French angle. So 
because I am part French. My grandma was French on my dad's side. And so we named her Resistez, is her middle name. In French, it means, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the word right, that's what I hate about the French. You can, they make you look like a dope because you can never know if you're pronouncing their words right or not. But it means you resist. That's what it means in French. And it's the story of a 14-year-old Huguenot girl who was put in a tower. They weren't liberated till over 30 years later. All as they had to say was, I abjure. I deny. I quit. And they could be released from the tower. Deny the faith. Deny Christ. You walk free. And um, when they came into that tower, the Protestants, to free them 30-plus years later, um, many of the women had capitulated, but this woman had not. She had been there from the time she was 14 years old, and on every brick in her cell, she had scratched into the brick with a stone the word resistance. You resist. And she stood faithful to Christ. So we gave Rochelle that middle name in honor of that 14-year-old Huguenot girl who stood faithful to Christ. What's interesting is, you know, when a baby's an infant, you really can't tell what they're going to look like because they change like every 72 hours and what they look like. And so, lo and behold, we give her these French names. And by the time she was one years old, and they've pretty much settled on what they're going to look like at that time, you know, pretty much fixed. I looked at her picture, and I had a picture of my grandma who died a week after I was born, back in 1960. Um, my grandma, who's French, on my dad's side. And when you put Rochelle's one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old picture next to her one-and-a-half-year-old picture, you talk about DNA. <laughs> talk about, I'm just like, I was so stunned by it, I showed it to my dad. He was still alive at the time. And he was just like, oh, my. <laughs> you know, that's like crazy. The comparison. So here we give her these French names. She looks like my French grandma, which of course is her great grandma. And um, but that's how we named her. And I always called Rochelle my little Belle when she was little. And if you know anything about Rochelle, she has that whole resistance makeup. She just entrenches her feet. And sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be bad. <laughs> so it's like, but she has what. The name that we gave her, she caricatures that um, in a great way. And, of course, it's good for ministry and faithfulness out on the streets. Amen. So I thought I'd make a few comments about marriage. You do know we live in a country where the government's been trying to redefine marriage for 40, 40 years now. I remember when it all took place. It was back in the 80s. All of a sudden, they start trying to redefine family. It started lightly before that, but it really got hot and heavy in the 80s where they wanted you to think that family was, you know, a zebra, a monkey, and a horse that all get along together or um, a bear, a cat, and a fruit fly that all get together, get along together. Any, any, you know, animation, this is a family now, and then, of course, lesbian families, Sodomite families, that, that all started getting pushed back in the 80s. This is nothing new. They've been at it a long time to get us to the point we're at right now. 
So they've been trying to redefine families for a long time, you know, make a divorce seem so okay, like everybody has a good divorce. <laughs> Nobody has a good divorce. <laughs> it's like, if you believe that, you're just a dope, you know? Have you, have you ever talked to anyone who's been, have you ever been with people going through a divorce? There's no good divorce. Oh, it's amicable. What did amicable mean? Nobody shot each other? You know, what's your definition of amicable? It's like, are you crazy? The experts say that the average divorce takes seven years off someone's life. That's how amicable divorce is. There's no amicability to it. So anyways, you know, you're bringing in all these different families, and they wonder why um, sex abuse goes up, because now you've got these men who have the daughters in the home they aren't the biological father of, and... I mean, give me a break. So the state, understand, destroys family, had been for a while prior to this, and then they come up with the solution, right? Okay, so they redefine family. They're uh, annihilating family. Started in the late 60s, early 70s with no-fault divorce. And in 1980, they passed the Adoption Assistance and Child Welfare Act of 1980. The Adoption Assistance and Child Welfare Act. Okay. You know who started then, right? CPS, Child Protective Services. So the state causes a breakdown in the family by their policies. You know, the decriminalization of adultery, the already legalization of abortion, you can murder your own sons and daughters, no fault divorce. Okay, so they've done all these things, and they've a million other things I could mention, all crafted to weaken the family. Then they come in as the great heroes, right? Now we have the solution, and it's us in the middle of your family, completely. And I remember when this took place in 1980, good people warning Americans about this, because it was a Trojan horse. It was all sold under the thing, we have to protect children because children are being harmed and abused. Well, guess what? Children have always been harmed and abused. And since you've been around with your little dopey federal programs and state programs for 40-plus years, they're still getting harmed and abused. And often it's in your dopey little state programs, even though the media doesn't tell anybody about it. Anybody who grew up in the inner city like I did knows exactly what it's like because everybody who's been in foster care has been abused. It's ridiculous, sick, and evil. So they pass this thing, it's a Trojan horse, under the auspices of protecting children. When it's really designed to destroy families. And I could tell you 8,021 awful stories of people who've been to hell and back because of CPS. And now where are we at? You listen to the people who talk on Mark Belling or any of these other yokel conservatives and they bring up these things, these stories about some abuse they're all for CPS. They're all for the state. That's exactly immediately what they go to right away is the government must do something. Listen, the conservatives are socialist dogs. The liberals are socialist dogs. The Republicans are socialist dogs. The Democrats are socialist dogs. And it doesn't matter if you're conservative or Christian. Oh, well, the government should come. I grew up when the government didn't have their nose in that business. That's why the hair goes up on my back. The government... Oh, yeah, 
That's who you want in the middle of that situation. When there's trouble in a family, that's like the last thing you want involved. Unless an actual crime has been committed, and of course they've made things that aren't crimes into crimes. You know, I remember when a cop ended up in my driveway because my five-year-old grandson walked over on the other on the neighbor's grass out near the road, and he said to me, Reverend Trolley, you have to understand, when the child's in your care, you have to keep your eye on them 24-7. And I looked at him, I said, do I look like a psychopath to you? <laughs> I said, there ain't nobody, I said this, there ain't nobody, anybody who watches their kids 24-7 is a weirdo, okay? And I said, that's just like you in the state, isn't it? You know, you make a standard that no one can keep, and then you criminalize them for not keeping it. You're nothing but a bunch of dogs. I end up with four squad cars in my driveway from that incident. And they never did get in my house because it would have been over my dead body. (laughs) So, hey, yeah. And yet here's the Christians and conservatives. Oh, yeah, 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 we need the government. So anyway, we're like in a messed up deal. The state wants to take over protecting the family. The state wants to take over the welfare of the family. The state wants to take over the behavior of the family. The state wants to take over raising our children. It's like people who think they actually own private property, that their business is theirs and that their land is theirs. Yeah, don't pay your property tax and you'll see how much it's yours. Don't do the 18 million things as a business owner the government tells you to, and you'll see whose business it actually is. So you have the veneer of that it's yours, but it's not really yours. And it's the same with your children. And that's why you have to take a stand and pillar your house as the republic of God and say no. And put in the effort and sacrifice to keep your relationship with your wife and your children strong so you can do good. And you can take a stand against these evil dogs because you are the counter-revolution when you have family. That is the counter-revolution to these status scumbags. The more you give the state, the more they want. Ever figure that out? The sad thing is so many people, including Christians, are willing to give it away. It all started in the 1930s when the state became responsible for the welfare of the family rather than the family being responsible for the welfare of the family. People got by without the state before them. They did. Read history. Everybody thinks, well, how would we possibly survive without the state doing that? Now, how would we survive? Because they've created a bunch of dependent dopes in this country who don't know what responsibility is. Who don't even have a concern about, you know, building strong homes so it goes good for the family. They go along with the culture, the education system, the economy, everything right in line with them. It's, no. You have to think differently, you have to act differently, you have to live differently. Extremely important. Daycare centers. There were no daycare centers when Matchwell was being raised. I remember when daycare centers started, I was about 20 years old. All of a sudden they started popping up. Instead of the churches standing in defiance of all the stuff the state was doing to invade home and force moms out of their home into the workplace. You know what the churches did? They found this a very big moneymaker, opening daycares. And they opened them up like crazy, all under the guise, of course, we can share the gospel with them. Rather than stand against the evil of destroying the family, 
They actually aid and abet the tyrants in destroying the family and make money off it. And then hide behind the guise of we're doing it to share the gospel with these little kids. Yeah. That's why we send our kids off to the government school, by the way, so they can be missionaries, you know, to these pagans. Right. Even though 85% of your kids end up being like the pagans after you send them there. Yeah, that was a brilliant plan. We are actually supposed to disciple the nations. We don't send our children off to the nations to get discipled by them. So, you do realize I'm 62, I'm going to die pretty soon, so I have to get this all off my chest, right? (laughs) So while the pagans are trying to define to society their concept of the family, we as Christians must define to our families first, and to the culture at large, what is God's concept of the family, and hasn't it become massively rudimentary? Now we're down to what's a man? What's a woman? And you think you have to have some brilliant response, and it's just as simple as, what's a man? An adult male. What's a woman? An adult female. But we're so educated beyond our intelligence now that we think we have to come up with some great plan. And where are the Christians teaching us the great responses to all this that is being taught? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's, it's the created order of God. It's the simplicity of what you see with your very own eyeballs. These people are insane. You don't have to be some brilliant... Ravi Zacharias type of a dude to contend with their idiocy. There's something really crude I could say right now, but since we're a mixed company, I won't say it, but it really would make my point so brilliantly well (laughs) that I hate not saying it. But I won't. (laughs) So So in Genesis chapter 1, God creates man and woman, and he tells them to multiply A man and woman are to become one flesh in marriage. God's made this all clear in his word. The man leaves his mother and a father and joins his wife and become one. Yeah, he's a male, she's a female. It produces children. Two females can't produce a kid. Two males can't produce a kid. Doesn't work. It's built right into the created order. Pretty simple stuff. How do we know who a man is? Well, by their gender, you can look. Uh, Yep, Mm mm-hmm. Yep. Even after they're dead, you know whether they were a man or a woman by their bone structure. Just look at the bones. It's all built in God's created order. Pretty simple stuff. Okay. God defines his concept of the family unit. Jesus in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, reiterates to the Pharisees God's intent concerning the family what God had originally intended. Amen. So Christ upheld it all. What else do I have here? So who's responsible for protecting the family? Not the state who wants to take it over and use it as a Trojan horse to get into the family, to destroy families. I remember one time I was at a meeting with um, a mother and a father who were with CPS, and they had actual two cops in there. 
detective types in street clothes, guns on. And this family had lost their, had their kids taken away on a phone call by a family member who didn't like them. These are Christian people. Asked me to be at the meeting, asked me to get a lawyer. I got a lawyer. Sit down. And this family was staying at one of my kids' homes when this happened. And my kids have, home, have kids. And so in the middle of the meeting, all of us in the CPS worker says, oh, there's other children that were here involved? Okay. So the last thing I remember seeing was literally red. I literally came back into my body 45 seconds later, and the cop had her hand on her gun. These are all women in the room, by the way. We live in a matriarchal hellhole. You want to get a good conversation going at the university, stand on a bench and say, do you all realize you live in a matriarchal hell? I did it once. You get a crowd right away. <laughs> Tell the young man, how long are you going to keep living in a matriarchal hell and put up with this bull? Oh, and it goes good. I have a lot to say about this subject. And usually within 15 or 20 minutes, they're arguing amongst themselves. Shut up. He's made some good points. Shut up. You know? Yeah, because it's a vestige, amen, of God is still down there. As much as this culture has tried to suppress manhood and womanhood and create an egalitarian hellhole, yeah, it's still down there. And when you start talking about man is to be a provider, a protector, and a priest to his home, it wells up good virtues in men. Yeah. So anyway, they told me later what I said. The first thing I heard that cop say when I came back into my body, and I'm a kid, I'm a kid, I was, yeah, was, do we have a problem here? She's standing up with her hand on her gun. Do we have a problem here? And I was like, you're darn right we got a problem here. <laughs> when we left that meeting, I remember the lawyer, I didn't know what he thought. He's probably, I'm thinking, he's thinking, why did I bring Chuella in here? And um, she never let him come in here. We had no sooner walked out the door, and he immediately turns to me, and he looks at me, and he goes, I want to thank you for what you did in there. He said, they need to see more of that. They think they can do anything. He said, and this is a lawyer who's seen so much of how they destroy families. And he thanked me for it. So anyhow, they want to use this Trojan horse to come in protecting children. The truth of the matter is that it's the duty of a family to protect family. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. The book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. There were all these little rotten people after the Jews trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Sam Ballot and all those, the Arabs had come in, and it says in verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Amen? Family protects family. Remember Abraham? When his family was taken, what did he do? Did he call the state? No, he got a group of men together and he went and got his family back, didn't he? Ever watch a Western? 
The Indians are going around the house, around the wagon train. What's the family doing? What are the wives doing? Reloading the gun, hand it to the husband. Right? Family protects family. They don't call 911 and die. You know? Remember one time that lights suddenly shone in my living room, right? Living on the north side of Milwaukee. Lights shouldn't be shining. Headlights should not be shining in Matt Wallace's living room. Immediately ran to the door and I looked out. It's a summer's night. And here's a guy. He's in front of the van. The guy's in front of the van. His wife is in the van or his girlfriend, whichever it was. And she's acting like she's going to run him over. So she's up on the sidewalk, you know, up on my lawn, trying to run this, acting like she's going to run the guy over. And Clara comes over and she goes, oh, wow, call the police. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not calling the police. I said, if that woman wanted to run that guy over, he, she would have already done it. I said, if the police come, one of them's going to jail, and their life becomes worse than it already is. I said, I'm just going to stand here and watch. <laughs> and um, so sure enough, she keeps acting. They're screaming and yelling at each other. This went on for probably three or four minutes. And then their voices died down a little bit. And then the guy walked over to the passenger side, got in the van, and they drove away. <laughs> Think how different their night would have been had the police showed up. Our government doesn't help people in their familial relationships. They finish off their familial relationships. That's what our government does. Understand that. We are responsible for the protection of our family men. We're providers, protectors, and priests. We should teach our family how to protect themselves also. We have many people who hate us at the Truella household, um, and I show my kids from time to time things people write about me online. And um, we used to get calls regularly in the past, years ago, where they would call up and tell me all the things they were going to do to me and my wife and my children. I'd just listen. And then when they finally exasperated themselves, I would simply say this. I would say, doesn't sound like anything a bullet to the forehead couldn't take care of. Click. That was back when you still click. You know, click. There was something cool about that. You don't get that with a cell phone. <laughs> click. <laughs> yeah. So I teach my kids this is why we have guns in the home, because there are weirdos, and we want to make sure they look like Swiss cheese, you know, if they show up around the Chuella house, because there's a lot of us. Amen. So we're also responsible for the welfare of our children. Um, yeah, we're also responsible for the welfare of the family. And we see this in many places of Scripture, in the book of Genesis, in the book of Ruth, um, on and on. Uh, but look at 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8. This is a classic passage, just very rudimentary regarding the role of family. 1 Timothy 5.8. Still breaking in the rice paper on this new Bible. Um, scripture reads, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. We provide for the welfare of our family. 
when you live in a status tell, everybody, it's every man for himself. That's what they build in people. Every man for themselves. Families diminish. The individual is, right? Oh, yes, the individual. He's paramount. And so they break up the family that way. So when you don't live in a status tell, you realize you want to do good with your sons and your daughters and with your marriage because of the fact that you don't want them to be a burden to the family. You want them to be a benefit to the family. You want them to produce. I remember I talked to when I was on VCY doing In Focus, I talked about the abolition of secondary education because I'm totally opposed to high school education. I think it should be totally removed. Of course, I'm totally for abolishing all government education, period. And I remember the people calling up, well, they don't go to school. And they're not mandated to go to school. I think it's going to be, all the families will just be terrible. All the... And I was like, no, it would actually teach families very quickly how important it is for them to build strong families. Amen? To build strong families. Right? Take on the responsibility that God gave them, not the state. The state isn't to be what it's become. They have a very limited role in the federalism that God has created, in the economy that he's, he created for man. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Turn there. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I won't use my southern drawl, but there's like a ton of people who, I stand on this verse. I, I stand on it. Um, train up a child in the way you should go. You know, they're Christians. Their kids are all in rebellion to God. And, but they stand on that verse. And then when I inquire a little bit about their life, their kids are following the way they were trained up to go because their family which is Christian, sent him off to the state for every little thing on the planet. Followed everything the world has established regarding the economy, education, and everything else. And I wonder why their kids think like the world and are dopes like the world and are screwed up like the world. It's like, yeah, okay, understand this meant train up a child in the way you should go, the way God wants children raised. <laughs> and they will not depart from it when they're old. It goes good with you. You don't send them off and do all this crazy stuff regarding the state with them and this culture and then say, hmm, I wonder why they don't love Jesus. Gee, I don't wonder at all. We're supposed to be responsible also for the education of our children. We teach them. And let me tell you, education in America is totally overrated. It is a god in this culture. People will sacrifice the souls of their sons and daughters for them to get that piece of paper. They will. It's ridiculous. No, we educate children. One of the things I've learned is, you know, the world kind of got along okay without a lot of that stuff. They have their place. They're good in some instances, but they become bad. The education system has become nothing but an engineering system engineering people to think like dogs, behave like dogs, and live their lives like dogs. 
It's crazy. And you don't see it? How blind are you? Can you walk into a school anywhere in America and not find a rainbow? Hmm? Even in the most conservative areas, you see that pushing it. Not as blatantly as the less conservative areas, but still put Right. Where are the men? Rip it down. Walk over and rip it down. So anyway, here's part of my talk from yesterday. I want to read it to you. And I'll close with this. This was in my lecture about the role of the people to preserve liberty in a nation. And I said, there is no more important citadel than the home and family government for preserving liberty. And understand we have a government that is at war with the family. They are status dogs. They are at war with Christ, and by extension, they are at war with the family because God himself established it. It is embedded in his very created order. Civilization grows out of familialism. In other words, family is the foundation of society. Today in America, marriage and family are at a low ebb and deep disarray. All the studies and statistics point to this fact, and the attended dire consequences are not needful to list here, as everyone who lives in this culture sees it with their own two eyeballs. And this destruction of the family has been done by design. The laws and policies of American governments and all the West, for that matter, are decidedly against family. A short perusal of divorce laws and procedures make that abundantly clear. No-fault divorce, the decriminalization of adultery, the legalization of homosexual marriage, legalized abortion, CPS, are all designed to demean and belittle marriage and family. When one studies the history of these laws, one sees that the people did not clamor for such changes, but rather they were imposed upon the people by the state. And sadly... American Christianity has followed this demise. The first Christian body to ever accept birth control in 2,000 years of Christian history took place in 1930. Now all of Christendom accepts the use of birth control, whether in word or practice, and most often in both. American Christianity has also long bought into the lie of feminism and gender egalitarianism and is now busy rewriting 2,000 years of biblical interpretation in order to accommodate itself to homosexual acts. In other words... American Christianity has decided rather than confront the idols and thinking of the world, it will confirm the idols and the thinking of the world. We live in the midst of a Christianity that is so drunk on the world's wealth and ease that the main function of most churches is to validate Christian suburban lifestyles. American Christians love to listen to religious figures who salve their consciences and help them accommodate to the evil to the new mores of the culture that they embrace or tolerate in this world. American Christianity helps the state affirm the secularization of America in the minds of Christians. We live in a matriarchal hell. Matriarchal hell pressures women to leave the home and work and prevents and hinders men from exercising authority over their families and demonstrating biblical love to them. They do not even possess authority over whether their sons and daughters live or die. Abortion. 
The vast majority of present-day Christians are hell-bent to emulate the world and in the end immolate their God-given purpose and created design. They're simply too busy following the world's preaching, pursuing wealth and ease, and having children hinders such goals. And you must behave differently. The two institutions in this culture that should be strengthening and affirming family, the church and the state, are not doing so. You are on your own. You must hold your family dear. You must protect and cherish your familial relationships. You must sacrifice and demonstrate diligence. You must build your home. That's what Nick and Rochelle are going to do today, begin to build a home when they get married later today. We now live in a nation where family has become the counter-revolution. You are the counter-revolutionists when you join a marriage and you have children. While all of America and the West is committing familial suicide, you must bring them Christian thought and demonstrate Christian living. You must embed it in your homes. You younger men, you must speak with the older men who have built strong homes. Not perfect homes, because there are no perfect homes. But strong homes, and men who have produced faithful sons and daughters. Talk with men who have a theocentric worldview and who are not weak need to speak about theonomy. Marry, have children, build a home. It is a sacred thing established by God himself. Understand, men, the state is at war with you as a man, and you must wage war against them. And you do so by building your home as a citadel of God's republic. You must teach your sons and your daughters manhood and womanhood by example, mom and dad. You must build strong relationships with them, Teach them to love to read, to start businesses, to shoot, to engage the culture. Let them get the smell of battle in their nostrils. Don't hide them in your hovel. They're meant to be arrows doing war against the evil, against the tyrants, against the idols of their day. Teach them to speak to confront evil, topple idols, and engage the magistrates, homeschool them. There is no more important citadel than the home and family government for preserving liberty. That was some of what I had in my lecture yesterday. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we rejoice in you, and we give thanks to you that you have preserved your word, so we do know your ways and your thoughts. And Lord, help each of us to live in obedience to them in all areas of life, in our personal life, in our family life, in our social life. Lord, let us live in obedience to you. Let us make you known to men. I thank and praise you, O God, for the goodness that you have brought to our family that when my mom bowed the knee to you so many decades ago, 
our family went from run-of-the-mill, messed up, screwed up, purposeless, heading nowhere, to radical transformation and the beginning of a process where we shed this world's thinking and embrace yours. And God, I just ask and pray that this would be true in each of our homes, that we would draw close to you, that we would do right by you. We pray for Nick and we pray for Rochelle, that as they make that covenant with you today, that you give them all they need to do right by you and to build a home. Lord, we thank and praise you for your goodness to us. We rejoice in you. We pray you keep our hearts hungry for you. We pray you use us even in spite of ourselves. And God, we thank you for your goodness to us, your love, your holiness. We need all of it. You are the vine and we are the branches, and we can do nothing without you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.